I think of Tai Chi as uh, a form of meditation or mindfulness on wheels. <laughs> it's, it's, nice. it's where, where the rubber hits the road. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 38 of the One Mind Meditation Podcast, where we interview teachers, scientists, and practitioners of meditation to get behind the scenes and really attempt to demystify this ancient practice and provide you with inspiration and tips to fuel your journey. Wherever you are right now, walking, running, on the elliptical, sitting on your couch or under the stars, thank you for taking the time to join me. And today, I'm really excited to share my interview with the author of the Harvard Medical School Guide to Tai Chi, Dr. Peter Wayne. I've known Peter for a few years because my wife works with him at the Osher Center for Integrative Medicine, where Peter serves as the director of research. He is also assistant professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. I wanted to interview Peter because many of you have asked about Tai Chi and moving meditation, and I really couldn't think of a more knowledgeable and engaging person to talk with than Peter. As both a researcher and a teacher of Tai Chi, he has a broad and deep perspective on the art and science of this practice. In particular, I think you're going to love learning about the eight active ingredients of Tai Chi. This eight-point framework, which Peter lays out both in his book and then today in the show, it really helped me to understand the multidimensional nature and impact of Tai Chi on our mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health. So I feel very fortunate to share this interview with you. You're going to learn a lot. I definitely did. I hope you enjoy it. So with that introduction, I give you Dr. Peter Wayne. Peter, welcome to the show. I am so happy to have you here. Oh, it's my pleasure, Morgan. Thank you. Wonderful. So I think we're going to just dive right in. And in your book, The Harvard Medical School Guide to Tai Chi, you really qualify your interest and your expertise in Tai Chi as someone who straddles two worlds. On one side, as a teacher and practitioner of the art, and on the other side, really as a keen researcher who studies and measures the health impacts of Tai Chi. And I'd like to ask some questions that apply to both sides, but I'd like to start by focusing more on the art. Personally, I believe personal story is just, it's so essential to contextualizing one's experience. Can you share your story with us? How did you come to practice Tai Chi? How did you become interested in it? And, and, and what was the path that brought you here? Well, that's a great question. So my journey on Tai Chi began a long time ago when I was just a teenager in high school, uh, going to school in Greenwich Village, New York City. And uh, what originally attracted me to Tai Chi was uh, interest in sports. Uh, what can I do to up my game? Uh, I knew that uh, certain types of martial arts uh, help with focus and help with stamina. And mm -hmm. But I was interested in, in also 
a little bit of the fluidity and grace. One of my main sports at the time was playing uh, professional frisbee, freestyle frisbee, and I used mm-hmm. to play in international tournaments. Um, I was also very drawn to the Eastern arts and philosophy at the time. Um, this was the early 70s in New York City, so uh, I was very interested in, in cross-cultural thinking. And yeah. um, and so Tai Chi was something I was hooked on immediately. It had the focus, it had the martial arts, it had the philosophy, it had the grace. Uh, it was a fantastic art, but that was just the initial hook. Um, and I was a young man, I was very healthy at the time. And uh, But as I've progressed through this, and now it's been nearly 40 years, each year I go into it, the further I go into my studies, there are different things to mine. So obviously, mm. as I went through life, there were health issues that I felt benefits from uh, as I aged. And also as a teacher, I start to see a lot of interesting benefits in terms of quality of life, stress, uh, health, and uh, and just a, a philosophy of how to engage in the world. So the journey's been quite nonlinear. And uh, the further I go into this, and I still feel like I'm just scratching the surface of this rich art, the richer the findings and the more interesting it gets and the, the more intrigued I am to, to dive deeper and figure out what I can learn myself and what I can share with others, both as a, an individual, as a teacher, and as a scientist. Beautiful. And was there like a moment or a catalyst when it became apparent to you that you wanted or needed to teach this? I, like I said, I think right at the beginning, there was something that just clicked in me. And yeah. my wife jokes sometimes and she says that I'm half Chinese and it's the inside half. But yes. there's something deep inside who I am that just clicked with the philosophy, the embodied quality of meditation, uh, the the athleticism. Uh, yeah. Very, very lucky to have great teachers. So. And my teachers have been both uh, incredible instructors and, and guides and mentors, but also in, um, rich in encouraging me to go out and teach. And in the tradition, and in many Tai Chi traditions, you learn by teaching, mm. the point where you, you have enough information to share this. It's as you look at other people, as you try to convert your own experiences into a language that, that others can understand and, and benefit from, uh, you, you learn a lot more. You know, Even in academics, they say, see one, do one, teach one. Uh, but until you have to teach on a topic you don't know about, there's a level of learning you don't get to. But if you right. teach on a complex topic, by the time you put your thoughts and slides and lectures together, you become an expert. So mm. in teaching, um, which I love to do personally, I think that's also deepened my commitment and appreciation of the art. Yeah, that's so interesting. You said the, also the comment about your wife, because I, and this is no joke, when I was looking through your book, there was a certain point I was just going through the pictures where you're doing the forms, and I thought, why isn't it interesting? Peter looks Chinese to me. And it was, I, I, I'm serious. And I think it was like, I was getting some, just, you know, some essence transmission from the forms that you were doing in those pictures. So when you said that, I was like, I think I know why she's saying that. <laughs> That's funny. But, but, um, all right. So I've asked you this question before and it was, it was illuminating. I'd like to ask it again for, for this audience. So for those who are listening, who may be new to this, new to Tai Chi, can you set a little context for us and speak really to the question of, of what is Qi and, and obviously in the context of what is Tai Chi? 
Yeah, those are very rich questions, and I, I can't remember what I've told you in the past, but um, let me make a distinction be, between some of the yes. language here that I think is helpful. So Tai Chi uh, literally refers to the yin-yang symbol. It is a philosophical concept of of dualism or, or dialectic balance. So yin and yang feed each other, and they help define each other. And it's that marriage of yin and yang that they say is the mother of 10,000 things. Mm. Um, and so Taiji Chuan, um, Chuan loosely translates as fist or sometimes, you know, the, when a, when a hand forms the shape of a fist, it's, it's the materialization, the grasping of a concept, um, mm. materializing into something. Uh, Taiji Chuan is, is a, a form of exercise or boxing that's based on this yin yang principle yielding and then strength and, you know, expansion and contraction and that whole dynamic that, that happens at all sorts of different levels, mind and body, for example. Yes. So that's the chi in Tai Chi. It's, um, it's a translation of supreme ultimate is, or all encompassing is the literal translation. Uh, chi mm. as a concept that's used loosely in as a sort of energetic concept is much more challenging to describe. There are some rich books. Uh, there's one book in particular called A Brief History of Qi, which is um, not that brief. Uh, it, you know, there's literally <laughs> hundreds of definitions of Qi, and they're all contextual. The very Western common translation, which I dislike a lot, is vital energy. And I think this came from a, a French uh, scientist and philosopher who uh, was exposed to acupuncture in the 1800s, and it was something like uh, energy vital, and so he translated it as vital energy. Um, yeah. My my take on it is a little different. Some people use uh, breath, you know, prana um, it would be a yogic version. Mm. Um, my sense of 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 chi is is a little bit more esoteric it's it's the connector and it's the information in the system maybe if we use a health example uh and we'll yeah. probably come to this a little later but as as we age a lot of our sensors senses dampen a lot of our physiological processes so as we stand up part of what keeps us going is you know the, the information that flows through our muscles to keep them tone uh the sensations in the soles of the feet uh the vision the inner ear system all of that is helping us stay up and, and maintain our postural control. But as we mm. get older, they all dampen down. And the information, the richness in that system that that tells us what to do, that animates us, um, is depleted. And I think that information, how things connect um, and instruct things to take shape or manifest, I think that's my my sense of chi. And that's much harder to measure. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, I, I think it's a very esoteric concept. I feel like both in teaching, but also in my research, it's interesting to use these terms, but I don't think we need them um, as, mm. as much as other people think. I think it is a very deep, essential concept, but I think uh, um, it's, it's a very hard one to talk about and a hard one to, to study. And people are always looking for machines to measure it. And I don't think it's that easy to do. Yeah. That that is a lovely definition. Uh, I love that you use the word information because that I found that very edifying right away. And yeah. when you talked about it, so okay. that yeah, yeah, go ahead. I can give you another example that um, 
again, comes a little bit from science, but we know now in, in embryology um, or in, in what's called morphogenesis, when, when form takes shape in something that's developing, let's say uh, an embryo in, in the womb or, or the mm-hmm. limb of uh, something that's regeneration, re- regenerating. We know that, uh, you know, we, somehow the body knows to divide a cell and make a fingernail here or make a knuckle here or something like mm. that. There's something that shapes where the matter goes. And this is what we call morphogenesis. And there are some lovely researchers here. There's a, a fellow who uh, is really brilliant named Mike Levin. He's at mm. the... Um, a tough school of medicine now. Uh, and he has shown that you can modify the bioelectric fields around developing tissue. Um, he uses animal models like little flatworms or things like that. And by just using magnets and different electric currents around that, he can put eyes in different places in these flatworms or make extra limbs or change shapes. And so What's happening is there's some bioelectric information in the case of a developing organism that tells the cells where to go. And it's that underlying information that shapes things that I think is closer to my definition of chi. Wow, that is an extraordinary example. Thank you. If we have more time, I would love to go into that, but we we have a lot to cover. Great. And okay, so my next question is, this is a question we get a lot at aboutmeditation.com, what, what is the relationship between meditation and Tai Chi? Because people often refer to Tai Chi as moving meditation. So first, why is that? It, as I said, it's a question we get a lot. And I wondered, can you share some personal experiences that will help illustrate this relationship between Tai Chi and meditation? And also, just as a caveat, I also realize in the very question, I may, I may be setting up a false dichotomy between Tai Chi and meditation. But for the sake of clarity, can, can you really speak to this question? I could try. Um, I think it's a really important one and one that's near and dear to my heart and, and yes. my emphasis in teaching. In some ways, uh, there's a great emphasis now on mindfulness. It's just becoming such a common word, which I think is fantastic mm. uh, in our culture and in medicine research and um, in healthcare and, and, and personal development. And obviously, that's a deep part of many meditative traditions. Uh, yes. Not the only one, but one big piece of it. I think of Tai Chi as uh, a form of meditation or mindfulness on wheels. <laughs> it's, it's, nice. it's where where the rubber hits the road. It, it's a mindful way of moving through life. And, and in Tai Chi, since it evolved out of a martial art, there's a very functional component to it. Um, mm-hmm. We may not be fighting um, necessarily, but the same biomechanics, the same awareness of the environment is involved in lifting up a, a package or moving a chair out of the way or walking down the street without getting, you know, uh, running into somebody else. But what we're trying to do is is bring a number of meditative qualities to functional activity. And when we talk mm. about those qualities, or sometimes people use a very broad term, like this is a mind-body exercise. But if we unpack this, quote-unquote, 
artificial separation of mind and body and just look at the mind yeah. piece. We can come back to this artificial separation. Part of my mission in life is to um, blow up the hyphen between mind and body. I, I love it. It really gets in the way, even though that's what we're trying to do. When we use that language, we, we, we get caught up in it. But if we yeah. think about some of these more mental or cognitive aspects, there's a couple of them. One is just paying attention. So noticing, feeling. And so when we're standing or, or doing a Tai Chi movement, um, can we feel our pieces? Can you feel your feet on the ground? Can you feel how your feet connect to your calf, how your feet and calf connect to your back and hands? So that attention is really important. But there's other pieces too. There's atten- uh, That would be attention and there's also intention. So what is the spirit of the movement, the the goal of the movement. And this uh, often involves a little bit of imagery or imagination or just sometimes functional application. And so those are very subtle differences. But when we intend, let's say if you can imagine um, lifting a coffee cup, right? You're sitting and listening to this talk and you're going to lift a coffee cup uh, off the table with your hand. Mm. You, you bring your hand there, but in order for that hand to grasp it and lift it up, you have to engage. And that process of doing that changes your physiology. It brings your attention there, but it also sort of connects things. It wakes up muscles, it makes up nerves. And if we're moving with intention as if we're trying to push something or pull something or connect something, it really has a deep impact on our physiology. And that's very Mm -hmm. different than just neutral knowing, uh, noticing. That that intention could have a a very kind valence, like I can feel my feet and I'm imagining that that warm inner ocean that bathes the whole inside of my body is nourishing my tissues. It's dissolving um, inflammatory blocks or places where things get stuck. That's a very different thing than just a neutral knowing or or feeling. So there, there are many dimensions of these mindfulness pieces that show up. But in essence, you know, Tai Chi is a a form of moving meditation and it brings in a lot of those mindfulness pieces as as well as other components of aspects. That's fantastic. All right. So in your book, you talk about eight active ingredients of Tai Chi. And when I read about those, I, I found them very illuminating. It helped me to understand why Tai Chi is such a holistic health practice. And you've already been starting to touch on that and why it benefits and supports our growth on multiple levels. And I wanted to ask if you could really, for everyone, just speak to these eight active ingredients because I I found that they kind of create a really nice outline that shows the multidimensional impact of Tai Chi on the nervous system on our psychological, physical, emotional, spiritual well-being. And and maybe if you could say a little bit about each one. Sure. Um, It's a big question, I know. There's there's eight of them. And maybe we won't go through all of them. But but a little context. So we talked a little bit about this mind-body as two components of these practices, you know, an artificial separation to some degree. Um, Yes. Um, and what we were finding is when we were starting to study Tai Chi, it's a hard thing to learn if we do it in a very traditional way. In other words, if we bring in people with health issues and we're studying it in the context of a clinical trial for 8 or 10 or 12 weeks or even 6 months, we don't often have the time to teach people 
complex choreographies that can take people years to learn mm. and sometimes can make people very uncomfortable or confused. And that's not our goal with people with health issues or elderly people who are, who are trying right. to maintain health or rehabilitate. So what we wanted to know is what do we think are the really essential therapeutic components of Tai Chi? If we can identify them, um, talk about them, then we can think about how to load them into Tai Chi exercises, Tai Chi-like exercises, so that the goal is to experience those qualities while you're learning some simple movements as compared to learning very complicated, long sequences and hopefully letting those cultivate slowly over time. I don't think there's mm. any one right, one right way to do it, but we chose to take the more direct sort of teaching Tai Chi from the inside out. And that's what yes. we call the, the eight active ingredients. So, um, and they also, by defining them and labeling them, they help us communicate this with our, the people we teach, our students um, and mm -hmm. patients. And they also help us study them because we can go, are we really affecting aerobic capacity? Are we really affecting mindfulness? Are we really affecting breathing patterns? Um, and so by labeling these processes we're focusing on, it helps us study them. So that's a little complex. nice. Yeah, thank so, you. So very briefly, some of these are really obvious. You know, when you're doing Tai Chi, uh, you're using aspects of your physicality. So there's a musculoskeletal component. We're strengthening the lower body, the upper body. We're creating flexibility to some degree, depending on how quickly and deeply you practice it. There's an aerobic piece to this. And, you know, at the sort of higher end of things, it's a little bit like brisk walking. But it does move your heart. Uh, it does make you breathe deep more differently and uh, we've measured this so so there's this physical piece that looks similar to typical conventional exercises mm -hmm. um, but we're not just looking at the pieces so we're not just strengthening the calf or the shin um, or the thigh but there's a dynamic structural integration so how do the pieces connect and this is really what people see from the outside in Tai Chi there's this unfolding waves of movement that really feel like they're continuous and smooth. Um, there's a real biomechanical sequence of events um, that involve, you know, how we stand, but how we move and connect all the pieces. Um, mm. So that's the dynamic structural integration. There's an emphasis on awareness and mindfulness and focused attention, which we've spoken on. And um, yes. each, each one of these pieces in the scientific literature have been studied separately. They haven't all been pulled out separately from Tai Chi, but each one of these have been known to help people with their health. There's intention and belief. Uh, we talked a little bit about that before, but if you just shift to placebo uh, research and what we know... So much of uh, what we believe affects how we feel. There's a funny quote that uh, Mark Twain had, uh, which I love. It says, as an older man, I've suffered through a great many things in life, most of which never happened. Um, <laughs> no, that's correct. And so that would be the nocebo effect. But we also know that if you give someone a, a red pill versus a white pill, even though they're both sugar pills, they'll get better with a red one. If you give them two red ones versus one red one, they do better. If you inject saline into their body with a hyperdermic needle and a very friendly nurse that says this is going to make you feel better quickly, that does a lot better than just giving them a white pill, all of which mm. are you know, placebo. We know what we believe has a huge impact. So when we're doing Tai Chi, we're asking people to imagine they grow roots deep into the earth that create stability, that when they're breathing in, they're breathing in, you know, healing qualities. And as they exhale, they can actually release non-essential things that they may be holding on to and mm -hmm. let them get recycled in the universe or wash themselves 
from above with you know healing energy from nature all of these things sound so weird but in the context of placebo research and and imagery research and a bunch of really sophisticated science those are really active ingredients and so even the names of the tai chi moves you know waving hands like clouds or the white crane you know spreads its wings elicit a certain movement or emotional quality so that would be the intention belief piece there are lots of yeah techniques on breathing that are um, integrated, sometimes just remembering to not stop breathing. That's the most fundamental one. But there are different ways of breathing that different Tai Chi systems use. These are some of the ingredients. Some of the other ones are being in a group. We know that that's very therapeutic for people, and especially a group that's like a Sangha in some ways, um, although we, we don't necessarily call it that. But they have this sense of we're not just getting together and playing bingo. We're getting together and reflecting on ourselves and on a journey to self exploration together that can be quite deep. Mm. Mm. and so those are some of the eight active ingredients but all of those are happening in a class and uh and so when our colleagues here at the medical school say well what's going on in there now we can say well there's actually a lot of things going on here this is like a, a multi-drug intervention and we're really taking um an intervention and trying to target many aspects of people's bodies and minds and connect them better when i was reading about this in your book and and also again hearing you speak about it especially in terms of breaking down some of these dichotomies it it did make me think a lot about Ken Wilber's work with integral theory where he's really got this map that does reflect reality as well there's an external reality there's an internal reality there's a personal reality and there's a collective reality and he he does such a wonderful job breaking down some of these false dichotomies and you know it's a map but it re- it reflects some of this holistic sensibility that I feel you're speaking to and we've we've talked about Ken's work on this podcast before but so that that really comes through this kind of integral approach that you're talking about and kind of leads us into this next question you talk about the challenge of studying Tai Chi scientifically because because of this complexity you spoke about in the eight active ingredients. Can you say a little bit how systems biology and ecological principles have helped provide a framework for studying and understanding how Tai Chi affects our health? And, and then you've kind of been speaking to it all along. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, as you know, part of why I have taken this view, and I think there are many ways to look at this, is because of my background. Prior to doing medical research, I studied evolutionary biology and Hmm. ecology and climate change and thinking about ecosystems and how things are connected. And so at the same time, I've been studying Tai Chi, which is based on this sort of ecological Chinese framework. Even in Chinese medicine, the body is an ecosystem. You've got the fire element of the heart and the water element of the kidneys, and they're all there to support each other. You don't want too much fire because it'll dry up your water, and you don't want too much water because it'll put out your fire. How do you Mm. maintain health with that internal balance? And so when we came to, when I made the shift to studying humans and, and health, it was just very natural for me to think of the body as an ecosystem. And that's very different than, than the way medical schools and hospitals are organized. We tend to go to um, a foot doctor for a foot problem, back doctor for a back problem, heart doctor for you know 
heart issues, a pulmonary doctor for, you know, uh, respiratory issues, and yet how we move, how we breathe, how our heartbeats are all highly integrated. And medicine is really fragmented now. It's really nice that there are specialists because when something's really wrong, you want that. But I think sometimes we lose the forest for the trees. And that's one of the nice things about Chinese medicine and Tai Chi. It's about making us more whole and connecting everything. So that was Mm. a lot of what motivated our approach and thinking about systems biology, which is a very front and center language and tool in modern medicine research now and modern medicine. And I think patient-centered care and, um, and, and holism, you know, what, what sometimes in the technical jargon, they talk about the biopsychosocial model. We're not just treating symptoms, we're treating the whole person and their family. You know, how do we care for the whole person? Right. So I think Tai Chi is, fits nicely within that. And and the language of systems biology um, really works well. And I, I can give you one example that goes a little bit back to your comment on Ken Wilber. And sure. uh, just to clarify a little bit about my concern about mind and body. So when people think of mind, sometimes they point to their head and they think of brain. And I think the brain yes. is very different than mind. I think we can have a mind can be in our head. It could be in our belly, it could be in our feet, it could be in somebody else's body, it could be distracted at some other point in time. So those are very different things. And one of the things being a more physical person and choosing more physical type meditations is I think a lot of the body as a place where consciousness is Im- embedded. It's 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 woven in. I think of, of our system more like a mind-body fabric. Mm. Not a hyphen. It's all connected. And so a really simple colloquial example would be, you know, oh, wow, I got scared stiff, (laughs) you know, and this happens in older people who've had a fear of falling. For example, we study this. Where, Where does fear exist? Is it a thought? I think the second we experience fear, there's clearly things going on in your brain, but if you get scared stiff, there's stuff going on in your feet and your back, your breath is changing, your neuroendocrine system's changing. Um, it's emotional, it's physical, it's cognitive. You can't think. All of a sudden, you, you know, you're, you're a deer in the headlight and you can't make good choices. So that right. really gives you a good sense of why I think that hyphen is a little overrated. Um, they're all happening simultaneously. And if you put your hand, a nice warm hand on someone's back and they can feel that, um, that will change their mood. If you scare them mm. with a thought, it'll change their body. Um, these things are really woven together. And I think Tai Chi really works with uh, that whole fabric in a much more holistic way. And I think everyone has experienced some level of trauma. Some people, unfortunately... Uh, veterans and and people who've gone through abuse and, and really serious uh, you know problems and refugees. There's extreme trauma, but everyone has had some trauma, and I think mm-hmm. this is where the mind body exercises are really particularly helpful because the, there are issues in our tissues. Some of the trauma hides in our somatic experiences, and sometimes it's very hard to get to those problems just through the thoughts and and words. But we have to bring the whole fabric with us. I love that. I love the image of the mind-body fabric. How have you seen the sort of approach from a scientific perspective to Tai Chi evolve? And uh, it sounds like some of these principles you're describing with the systems biology and the, the ecological kind of lens, they obviously really lend themselves 
in in a powerful way to kind of being able to to grapple with the complexity. But in your time studying Tai Chi scientifically, like how what what have you seen like in the what what does the evolutionary arc look like over the last twenty years? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a great question. You know, the first question in a lot of research is, you know, does intervention X help people with condition Y? You know, so mm. so very simple studies um, early on are can Tai Chi help people with balance? Um, can Tai Chi help people with heart disease, um, congestive heart failure? Can people with uh, pulmonary issues like chronic obstructive pulmonary disease um, be helped? And so we take a, a Tai Chi and we recruit people with those conditions and, and we do clinical trials, much like a drug trial. And, um, and there's been a lot of research that's over well over a thousand peer-reviewed articles on Tai Chi, many of them good, good research, uh, mm. and the research is getting better. But I think the arc has evolved to not just asking if, but how and why. And and I think because often we're studying complex conditions like trauma, you know, by the time someone who's had congestive heart failure for many years or really chronic low back pain for many years, there's layers of, of issues there. There's not just physical pain, but there's the lifestyle changes, there's the fear, um, oh, many things, there's social interactions. So one of the things that's nice about Tai Chi is it's this rich probe to bring into a, a complex system that's out of whack um, and see if we can reorganize it and free it layer by layer. Um, mm. And um, the mechanisms is where I think there's some really interesting research going on. And, you know, we, we work, um, for example, going back to the issue of fear and falling, you know, it's ironic and, and tragic, but one of the biggest predictors of a fall is fear of falling. If you you have an elderly friend or an, uh, you know relative who's had a fall, you can see how they walk. It's in a very guarded, tentative way. You know the center of gravity is high. They're holding their breath. They're a little nervous and scared, and that makes you more likely to fall than if you don't have that right that anticipation, that that fear in your body, that anxiety. And so we've studied people through Tai Chi. We've seen very nice changes in in the probability of falling. Some of the better literature supports that somewhere between 30 and 45% reduction in falls in older people, which is remarkable. It's a, yeah. You know, it's one of the best interventions we know of when you can compare them to all others. But the question is how and why. Um, and one of those pieces is is through this emotional layer of anxiety that we're changing that and we can measure that in the body and measure it quantitatively. Another really interesting piece is what we'd call attention, which technically they talk about executive function or cognitive function. So if, if I were to ask you, uh, Morgan, to stand on one leg and um, try to balance and while you're doing that, ask you then to start to count backwards by six and a half. Um, you, uh, yeah. attention would immediately be shifted to six and a half. So that's really weird. So, uh, a hundred, uh, you know, and your balance would be greatly impaired. Um, because yeah. we use that. Now, as a young, healthy person, we could balance. The impact of that would be quite small. But in an older person where all the senses and the soles of the feet and the, muscle strength and the vision and all those other things are starting to get a little weaker. We use our attention to compensate 
um, and to guide mm-hmm. our balance quite a bit. This is exaggerated even further down the line in, in a disease like Parkinson's, where a lot of those automatic movements are really limited because of some challenges with dopamine in the brain. And so in people with Parkinson's or in older people, we use executive function and what we call the, the, the front part of the brain to help with those more basic movements. And what we believe is that Tai Chi, because it's, it's strengthening that part of your brain that pays attention to the sensations in any one part of your body, how those parts connect, whether you can do that while you're breathing, whether your shoulders stay comfortable, your awareness around you, that multitasking training and that that body awareness really strengthens that quote unquote mind body connection. If I can use that. Yeah. Um, and that would be one of the mechanisms. So we, we do studies that we measure executive function. We measure balance. We challenge people to balance while they're doing complex tasks. We teach them Tai Chi and we've seen that, that cost to being distracted goes down after studying Tai Chi. And now we're doing studies where we can put them in an MRI scanner and ask whether we actually see connections between those parts of the brain um, to support whether um, there really is a, a physiological change in the brain that supports what we're seeing in the mind-body fabric connection. And is that are you seeing, what kind of results are you seeing? Um, we're not seeing them yet. <laughs> this is a study that are just yeah. underway. But other people have done this and um, and, we, and they have supported that what we see clinically, what we see in terms of improved balance and executive function um, and cognitive function in general um, is supported by changes in the structures of the brain. And, and as you know, there's been quite a bit of research in terms of how the brain shapes meditation, uh, how yes. meditation shapes the brain. But there's been much yes. less in terms of uh, moving exercises, um, which bring in many other things. And so that that's one of the frontier edges of, of research right now. Well, you know, I w- could have used that training when I was a teenager because the, the one time when uh, I, I was put in a situation like that was I, w- I must have been like 17 and the police pulled me over on Cape Cod and it was late at night. And of course they pulled me out and they're like, all right, they suspected I'd been drinking and they're like, okay, I want you to walk backwards in a straight line and say the alphabet backwards. So that's what it reminded me of when you said count by six and a halves. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's part of it, but it's also just, yeah, I don't think that's a great test of sobriety. But hopefully... <laughs> no, no, I, you know what? I think, they're, I think they're trying to get you to say, well, I couldn't do that if I was sober. Yeah. I think yeah. it's a trick. I, anyways, I, I am joking around, yeah, but yeah. that that is, that it is really remarkable to hear about that. And then I'd love to hear a little bit more, and I know we're moving towards wrapping up the interview here, but can you speak a little bit more, or just tell us a little bit about your current research with Parkinson's? I know you mentioned it, but specifically the study that, or studies that you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. So Parkinson's is one area of, 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 uh, of research we're doing, and we're interested in making people's quality of life better. We're not trying to cure Parkinson's. Um, we don't think that these sorts of interventions are designed for that. But how do people live fuller, more high-quality lives? We've seen from other research that, that people who practice Tai Chi with Parkinson's have better balance. They fall less. Uh, they save money because of the costs mm. of or society and individuals save money because of that. Uh, their quality of life improves. Um, 
a lot of bit of our research is, is, as I said before, is trying to figure out how and why that happens, what's going on uh, inside the mind-body fabric, so to speak, or what we call cognitive motor interactions. That's yes. just one small piece of our work. Um, working with uh, my colleague, Dr. Ye, who's here at, at Harvard Medical School, um, who we've been I've been doing research with many years. We now have a couple studies. Uh, we're looking at veterans and and also the general population, uh, people with emphysema and bronchitis and um, other forms mm. of what's called chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Um, that's really debilitating. It's one of the few conditions that's still increasing in, in prevalence worldwide. Uh, people can't play with their children. They can't walk up flights of stairs. And um, so what can we do? And through the breathing training, through the movement that may help with the uh, breathing apparatus and range of motion of the ribs and the spine. And um, and also through, we know that when you get emotional, <laughs> your breath changes. So, um, yeah. so there's, here's another example of, you know, mind and breath connecting. So through these practices of, of simple Tai Chi, um, we're evaluating whether this can help this important population. We've done some work with people with heart failure, um, mm. uh, which is a, a very prevalent disease and improving quality of life and their ability to exercise and, and depression, which is highly comorbid with this. Uh, a lot of our work is uh, centered around pain, chronic pain. Uh, at the OSHA Center, we're, we're studying back pain, not just with Tai Chi, but how does Tai Chi interact with more uh, integrative therapies like chiropractics and, and um, acupuncture and craniosacral therapy. How do, and many people are, are looking for those combinations of things. Uh, and yes. so our clinic at the OSHA Center offers this kind of integrated program for, for people. But those are some of the conditions we're looking at. We're also just beginning a big study funded by the National Institute of Aging on bringing Tai Chi into populations that may not have access to it. So if, if these therapies are going to work, we want them to be um, available and effective for everybody. And they just have not been studied in, in, in all populations. So we have a new study to bring year-long Tai Chi programs into subsidized uh, minority populations in the greater Boston area. Mm. And, um, and what we're really interested in is, is not only does it improve quality of life and function, but does it change their uh, usage of the medical system? Because the poor people with less access to resources and medical care are often the biggest drivers of medical costs to society. So if right. we can bring these bottom-up self-care tools to these populations, will it help them individually and their families, but will it also uh, provide a cost-effective tool for society and, um, yes. and spread these uh, resources to, to make them accessible to everybody? So that one's a new project that's very near and dear to my heart and we've just started that project that'll be well it sounds really yeah, important we'll have results stand by in about seven years <laughs> yeah oh god man well it's slow going but it's so important that that's very inspiring to hear that yeah yeah thank you so two last questions one was and it's kind of more a comment is when again coming back to this mind body fabric another thing that struck me as you're talking about that is that and, and I wonder if you agree with this, but it does seem to be that in general in the healing arts, uh, broadly, there is a lot more acceptance of that. And, and like I'm thinking particularly, I work with a body-based therapist, a, a mental health therapist, and it's amazing to me. She really focuses on helping to identify 
questions and images related to trauma stored in the body. And, and the modality is very simple, but a lot of it is she just, she, it's not as much talk therapy. She has me focus on my body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the premise of the, the work is trauma, as you were saying, you know, and, and as I started with her, she said, trauma is stored in your body. So that's where we focus. And for me, having never done therapy before, I have found it incredibly productive, enriching, and illuminating. And I, yeah. I wonder as I hear more about this, also I've heard uh, you know, of a lot of peers and friends pursuing the same, same kind of work. They're finding the same, finding the same results, but also finding that same emphasis on that, on yeah. that uh, mind-body fabric. Yeah, I think it's it's you know it's been around for a long time. Uh, you know, many, many of the earlier traditions of Feldenkrais and and going all the way back to uh, what were called gymnastic movements in in, in Germany and the late 1800s, early 1900s, it all started with a woman named Elsa Gindler, who led the somatic awareness with Charlotte Silver. But there have been traditions that have been reinventing this just because it's it's logical. In today's culture, um, there's some beautiful writings by Peter Levine, uh, I think it's called Waking the Tiger, uh, who's talked about a somatic-based trauma work. And then recently, Mm. um, Bessel van der Kolk's book on The Body Keeps Score, those are all examples of trauma work, the latter two. And then there are whole emerging fields um, that are really rich. Uh, they're a little hard to penetrate, but embodied cognition, these are all uh, areas where people appreciate that connectivity or that, that wholeness. Um, yes. that, that maybe it's, it's good to include both. Or some people really just work through the body and they say if you bring stories to it, it's not that helpful. Other people um, think it's important to name things and uh, that might help with uh, the changes that happen. Uh, but mm. but in, in either case, it's really a rich area that I'm glad people are bringing the body in and it's not just all in your head, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. Well, Peter, I, I am going to link up all the books that you've mentioned. Everyone, I am going to link those up in the show notes. Peter, just a, a final question as we wrap up here. For someone who's interested in starting a Tai Chi practice or, or even just dipping their toe in, besides picking up your book, which I do recommend because I, I found it as a Tai Chi lay person, I found it very accessible. So I recommend it and I'll be linking that in the show notes. But how should people get started and, and you know where should people begin and who might be a good candidate? To, to try Tai Chi? That's a great question, and it's not a simple answer. I think common sense is the way to go at this. Uh, yeah. It's similar to finding a, a good doctor, a good yoga teacher, or a good restaurant. You know, you ask your friends, um, you know, do they have any experience? Do you have any recommendations? You do a little internet search if you're online. And if you do live in a community where there's various choices, go check them out. The best thing to do before you commit to anything is, can I do a class um, as a trial? Can I observe a class? And you'll get a sense of whether the way that an instructor teaches matches your particular style. There's so many different approaches and styles of Tai Chi, so many different kinds of teachers, um, just like yoga. You know, do you want to do the fast moving yeah. or hot yoga, or do you want some very gentle restorative yoga? Do you want yoga that focuses on pranayama? Do you want yoga that, that brings in... Um, uh, devotional aspects. I mean, all of them are, are, you know, have rich 
contributions. It's just a matter of what matches your style. Um, there are resources online, uh, some you know, lots of DVDs and and things like that. Again, you'd have to ask around as to which is a, a good match for your resources. Um, one thing I would say is that it's a really nice complement to sitting meditation for your mm. audience. Uh, we have people who've been doing Vipassana or loving kindness meditation or non-Eastern, you know, uh, that come out of Christianity or Kabbalah traditions. And it's really nice to bring that into a moving system. And um, mm. so it's a nice complement. We have a program that we've developed at our Tai Chi Center because we've thought a little bit about how we train people to teach in clinical trials, how we train people to teach in hospitals. But now we're attracting a lot of yoga practitioners and meditation people. How do they bring these these tools and, and the languaging we've developed into their practices? So people can go to the treeoflifetaichi.com website and uh, learn about a teacher training program that we've developed that that would be a good place. If there aren't resources in your community, people can come and learn how to do it and bring it back to their community. Wonderful. And are there any other places online where if someone wants to learn more about your work, Peter, where they can, besides the, the your website, which I will link up, the Tree of Life, I, I can't remember exactly. Tree what of it Life was. Tai Chi Center. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. I'll link that up. Anything else, any other resources? I'll link up yeah. the Osher Center as well. Yeah, so that those are the two worlds I live in, and I keep them separate. One is my community-based teaching and, and uh, our program, but the my formal day job uh, at the Harvard Medical School and Brigham Women's Hospital is at the Osher Center for Integrative Medicine, and there, a link there will bring you to some of the, the work we're doing, uh, some of the projects that are ongoing. There's some lovely uh, seminars that are there about the research we and others are doing in integrative medicine. And so that would be a good place to go as well. Fantastic. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure, Morgan. I really enjoyed it. We'll do it again sometime. Wonderful. All right. Fantastic. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Dr. Peter Wayne. If you'd like to learn more about Peter's work or follow up on some of his book recommendations, I provided links for all of that in the show notes over at About meditation.com forward slash podcast. Also, if you haven't already, please be sure to pick up some free guided meditations and also a three-part meditation seminar called Meditation for Life over at our website. You can check that out over at aboutmeditation.com. And if you enjoyed the show today, please do me a great favor and leave us a star rating and a review on iTunes, you can do that also over at aboutmeditation.com forward slash iTunes. And that's really the best way to help other meditators discover the show. And finally, let's end with a quote. And this is a timely and humorous, if not ironic one, from Ram Das on the eve of Thanksgiving November 2015, here in America. And he says, If you think you're enlightened, go home for Thanksgiving. If you think you're enlightened, go home for Thanksgiving. That's all for today. See you next time.